everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. You're about to listen to the next part in the sermon series on Revelation. This is the third of the letters in Revelation, looking at the letter to Pergamum, and that's Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And we're thinking today about our weapon against evil and what that is, how we as a church uh, defeat evil, how we defeat evil in our lives and in the world. And just to remind you once again that there is a the Ten Commandments series going on on YouTube. And this past week we were looking at honour your parents and what it means to do that in the 21st century. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, you can become a Patreon or give directly via direct debit on the website. All of the links for that will be down below. So thanks so much everyone. I hope that you enjoy. God bless and I'll see you again next week. So a few years ago, while I was doing my, uh, my curate training, we had to do a session on uh, personal safety. And we had a guy who came from the, um, he was formerly from the police, from the counter-terrorism unit, uh, came to talk to us about personal safety. And um, I think actually counter-terrorism is probably not a bad thing in some churches to be involved with. Um, but... Um, uh, anyway, he came to talk to us and he, he was talking about the amount of safety equipment that the police would have uh, compared to the amount of equipment that a clergy person would have. So, you know, he said that obviously the police would have all of their gear, the, the bulletproof vests perhaps, and, you know, the radio and the, you know, I mean, there's so, so much equipment, there's a long list of things which the police carry. What do the clergy carry? A Bible? maybe <laughs> and that's uh, and that's um, uh, that's pretty much it and that's what we were thinking about in in that session um, but it really struck me uh, as, as I was looking at this today thinking about how we defeat uh, Satan how we defeat evil because it, it is actually it turns out that that's all you need so this this letter is written to uh, the church in Pergamum, and um, Pergamum was, is, as John writes, um, I mean, I can't show you on a map, but he's sort of writing going round in a semicircle, moving north. And so that's, so Pergamum is to the north of Smyrna. And there's a, a modern city called uh, Bergama, I think, and you can still see the ruins of uh, Pergamum. There was a Roman um, theatre there, and, and so on. So it was quite an important city, and it was quite a wealthy city, and again, another city which was um, devoted to, to, um, to Rome, to the, to the empire. Um, so what does Jesus say to Pergamum? He starts out by saying, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. And why does he start that way, and what, what, does, what does he mean by that? The, the double-edged sword... It only occurs three times in the New Testament. Here, chapter 1, verse 16, which says, uh, In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. So that was uh, talking about Jesus. And in the book of Hebrews, where it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, uh, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So what is this sword that he's talking about? It's the word of God. It's, it's Jesus's word, the word of God that he speaks. 
And I think that's why it's, it's seen as coming out of his mouth. Now, it's not a literal um, vision, but it is the, the sword that, that comes out. And the Bible elsewhere uses uh, a sword as referring to the word of God. For example, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, talking about the armour of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is, is begun this way, the letter is begun this way, I think, as a reminder of where true power is found. Where true power is found. Because if you're facing powers that seem big, then you need a proper weapon, don't you? You know, you don't want to be, um, you don't want to be uh, facing down a, an enemy with a machine gun with a pen or a paperclip or something, you know. And it reminded me, actually, of this um, wonderful quote by um, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Defend the Bible, I'd sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible, you open its cage and let it roar. I think Spurgeon had a way with words. You know, I, lo- I love that image, opening the cage and letting it roar about the Bible. I think that's wonderful. And so Jesus says, I know, again, I know, this time I know where you live. So he's talked, um, in every letter he's, he, we have this, you know, I know their circumstances, their deeds. And in this case, he says, I know where you live. And this verse is it's quite a puzzling verse in the um, in the the book of Revelation. It talks about Satan twice. It says um, where Satan has his throne and then at the end of the verse it says where Satan lives. So we don't know again the exact details of what was happening happening in Pergamum but it it does seem like it was quite a difficult city to be a Christian you know where the powers of evil seem to hold sway and perhaps there was a lot of the occult there perhaps um, you know, there was uh, all sorts of other religions, um, as we know, happened in the Roman Empire. And um, we don't know beyond that really any, any, any details. But it was a difficult place to be Christian because the enemy, Satan, was very active in the city. And, um, and yet, Jesus says, you, uh, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. So Antipas must have been um, a, uh, someone well known in the church who was martyred for, um, in the city uh, because he didn't renounce the name of Jesus. So it's that kind of a city. It's the kind of city where people get martyred uh, for believing in Jesus. That much we know. So I think that tells us really what we need to know about Pergamum. And, and the church are commended. You know, this is the, uh, as you know from the, the letters in, in Revelation, there's often the commendation, and then, yet I have this against you. And that's what we have here. But they're commended, they've stayed firm, in spite of the fact that someone has been martyred, at least one person. Uh, in spite of that, they are holding firm to the Lord Jesus. But he says, yet, uh, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Well, what are they? Uh, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Now, Balaam 
is referring to, back to the Old Testament, the figure of Balaam appears in the book of Numbers. And um, it's a slightly odd, um, odd story, um, which we won't go into right at the moment. Um, but there's one verse which it's probably referring to, which is Numbers chapter 31, verse 16, where he, uh, it says, They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So Balaam had somehow influenced the Israelites to turn away from God, and that ended up with them um, committing sexual immorality and worshipping other gods. And that was, again, the details of it are quite sketchy, but that's, uh, that's what I think this is referring to. It's saying that there is someone there um, who is leading them away from God. And we also meet the, the Nicolaitans again. Um, again, we don't know what they taught, but you know, this is often the way that one form of false teaching will lead to another. So if uh, there's one kind of false teaching in a church, they will accept another kind as well. Um, and actually, that, is, um, that has been my experience in life, that you know, people who, are, who depart from the teaching of the Bible in one area never stop there. It always leads to another thing until eventually they end up leaving the Christianity completely. That's the route out. And um, you see that all the time. You know, people who depart from what the Bible says about all sorts of issues. But, I mean, lately, of course, it has, of course, been the issue of marriage and same-sex marriage. That, that's been a big issue, hasn't it? I know we've talked about that a lot. Um, people who end up accepting these things then end up rejecting other things about the Bible as well. And that's, it follows us the night, the day. And I think that's, that's one thing we can, um, we can learn from this. Um, but it does say that, that he enticed uh, the people. Uh, there are some among you um, who, who talk about like, to entice the Israelites to sin. And it just made, you know, made me think about how false teaching is. It does have a, the capability to entice. You know, it is, it's attractive in a sense, isn't it? If, if it wasn't attractive, people wouldn't go for it. And that's why we have to be, I think, very careful about these things. You think about this church in Pergamum, where there was, uh, you know, martyrdom, where, the, where there was, it says Satan has his throne. Now, if you're being persecuted for following Jesus, you think about it, what's going to be attractive is if someone comes along and says, actually, you don't need to worry about these teachings which are causing you to be persecuted. You can still believe in Jesus. You just change, change a few little things. You think that's quite an attractive proposition, isn't it? You can still believe in Jesus, but you won't get the persecution. And sadly, I think that's how it works. People don't want the persecution. People don't want, um, you know, the, the, the aggro for following Jesus, for sticking to what, what the Bible says. And so they depart from it. And uh, it, it's, you can see why it's attractive, but actually it is the people who stand firm that Jesus commends. It's the people who stand firm. And what Jesus uh, says here is, um, repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So he says that, 
uh, I'm going to come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth, with my word. That's interesting, isn't it? That that is the sword which he says he's going to use. It's the word of God. The word of God is the answer. It's the answer to, uh, to, to false teaching, as well as, you know, all of the other all of the other battles we have with sin and with evil in our lives. It is the word of God. That's the only answer. This is what it says in that Psalm 119, verse 11, the famous verse. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think about uh, Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. What does he say? To Satan, when Satan tempts him, Jesus replies every time with a quotation from the Old Testament, from the Bible that he, he knew. That's how Jesus overcame. He was saying, you know, Satan says, turn, the, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that, that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus responds to temptation with the word of God. Jesus knows how to fight uh, Satan, and that is the answer. So this letter uh, finishes, um, uh, to, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna, sort of a reference to the, uh, the manna of the, um, the bread of heaven, the, uh, the, on the, the, the Israelites on the journey to the promised land, you know, sustaining them, giving them what they needed on the way to that promised land. I'll also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And uh, I, I, I like this, thinking about it, what does this say? I think what it's saying is that the, the opinion, the only opinion of us that we really need is Jesus's. His is the only opinion of us that really matters in the end. And, you know, giving, giving a, a stone without a new name, known only to the one who receives it. You know, Jesus will give us that. The, you know, they say the stone or the new name, and it's, it's between us and him. Now, at the end of the day, his opinion of us is what really matters, not what other people think, and particularly, you know, the world. You know, if they're against us, well, Jesus said that would happen. But it's, it's God's opinion, it's Jesus's opinion of us that really matters, and his is the opinion that we need to, to seek. His good favour is what we need to seek. So let's, uh, let's uh, draw a few conclusions then as we come to the, uh, the end of this passage. The solution to the problems, to the sin and evil in our lives, in the church, and in the nation and in the world, is the word of God. That is the solution to, to everything. And that's what, um, that's what it says. So for example, let me read you. Isaiah chapter 55, verses uh, 10 and 11. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God is powerful, it achieves God's purposes, it will always achieve God's purposes because it has God's power behind it. 
And this verse um, from Isaiah was actually given, I think, the last, um, just before I finished theological college, the principal there, um, we had a, you know, uh, all of the final year students, we all went to his house and had, a, had tea and what have you, and he, he gave us that verse. And I often think about it, you know, thinking that that is my job, is to be a minister of the word, and Mark's job and T's job, and, but all Christians are people of the word. We should be. And so this is, this is the question that I'd like to, uh, to ask and for us to reflect on this coming week, which is, are we devoted to the word as Christians? One practice I know which we like to recommend in this church is just the, the daily reading of God's word, of the Bible. Now, do we set aside a bit of time every day to read the Bible? No, it's not too hard. You know, it doesn't have to take hours. But, you know, are we committed just to reading it, you know, at least once a day, just to, to taking on board what God wants to say to us, praying about it and asking him to, to show us the way that we should be going? And I, I often, um, I know I've said this before, but it, it is so true that so often when I read a bit of the Bible, it just has that relevance to something happening in my life in a way that, that nothing else does. It's as if, you know, God kind of reaches out of the page and says, here we go, Phil, this is a message for you. So often happens. What about us as a church? Are we devoted to the word as a church? I mean, this is a, a, a tricky one, I suppose, but it's something that I think we need to be thinking about. You know, does everything we do as a church, do we submit it to God's word? You know, do we want to proclaim God's word in what happens? Do we want to, to put it first in our church? And finally, are we, are we devoted to sharing the word? And it, it made me think actually that, you know, so often I think the Bible is almost the last thing that we, we, we put when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to telling other people about Jesus. You know, we might, we might invite them to a service, perhaps. We might invite them to a course. Um, but do we actually share the Bible, share scripture with people? And that's something which has really uh, struck me, just that, you know, God's word has the power. And if that we share that uh, with people, then perhaps, as Spurgeon was saying, that is like the lion roaring. You know, that is actually effective in and of itself. Um, let me read you... Uh, there was a, an article in Christianity Today the other day, um, which was just experiences of people who have been atheists, who um, had just read the Bible. And let me read you what one person said. And they read, read the Bible for the first time. It says, reading the Bible for the first time, Anthony couldn't stop recalling, I was fascinated by it. I couldn't read it enough. I read the New Testament in, I think, two weeks. I was on a holiday with my family and I spent the whole time on the beach reading scripture. I read through a lot of the Old Testament books as well. I was literally hungry for it, utterly fascinated, I guess. I was intrigued by their lives. Certain of my objections seemed like they weren't as severe as I thought they were, and the actual content of Christianity, once I looked into it, when I read the Bible, it seemed compelling. Isn't that interesting? That someone who didn't believe in God just started reading the Bible and was found it utterly compelling and was hungry for it. I think perhaps that's just what we need to do, just to try and get people reading the Bible. 
and um, obviously there are different ways we might be able to do that. Um, if you have any bright ideas, then, uh, then let me know. But that's really what we need to do, isn't it, folks? It's about the Word of God, and it's about getting the Word in ourselves and getting the Word in other people as well. So let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's help as we try and, and do those things. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is powerful, like a, a sharp double-edged sword. And we pray that you would help us in our own lives to be devoted to your word and to read it daily. We pray that you would help us as a church to be devoted to your word and to make that the, the main thing uh, in our teaching. And we pray, Lord, that in our witness to you, that you would help us to uh, help other people see how wonderful your word is and to be able to, to be hungry for it. So we pray that you would bless us as a church and give us uh, wisdom and creativity and inspiration in all of these things to be able to put you first and put your word first, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.